0: for a baptism, and if you don't know what that is, that's totally okay, uh, but we kind of want to, to go there because we want to make sure that, uh, that we're familiar with the Bible and familiar with the passages that, that are really kind of pertinent to each situation, and actually, as I've looked at this passage and as I've thought about today, <coughs> me, it has really struck me that this is incredibly relevant, not just for Eliot and baptism, but for every one of us that's here. It's relevant if you're here visiting and you don't normally hang out in places like this and see weird things like this, and uh, you know, you're here and you're thinking, this is interesting, but you wouldn't kind of count yourself as being part of the in crowd. I hope you'll find that the story is relevant for you. At the same time, some of us have been uh, in God's family for many, many years, and it's easy to kind of think, oh, this baptism, that's about the beginning, you know, that's back then, and you maybe remember when you were baptized. Uh, I know for me I, I look back to my baptism and remember it well, but, but that was years ago. And then, so is a baptism message that should be relevant to me or to, to us if this is something that in, in a sense is kind of in our past, that we become Christian, we become part of the family of God. And I think this passage is incredibly relevant to us as well. So whether you're visiting, whether you're Elliot, whether you're anybody else, This passage, I think, is going to be really uh, a relevant one for us. If you want to grab a Bible, you can. There's a few on the the windowsills around the edge. I'm just going to read the passage. Feel free to just listen if you prefer. And uh, it's from Acts chapter 8. Book of Acts. So you've got Matthew, Mark, and John. Four books that tell the story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his dying on the cross. With his father. That's in Matthew, Mark, and John. Once Jesus goes back to heaven, the story of the early church as the message was spread in, that's in the book of Acts. Okay, so Acts chapter 8, and starting at verse 26, let me just read this story to you. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near him. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearers. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip went to a services, traveled around, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, it's quite a, an intriguing story in lots of ways, but in a way it's very simple. There's a guy who's reading the Bible, doesn't understand it. Philip explains it is about Jesus. He trusts in Jesus and then gets baptized. A okay, really straightforward, simple story. Now, if you were to read through the book of Acts from the beginning you've noticed there's a bit of a shift going on. Okay, for the first few chapters, it's all big crowds. It is massive crowds of people preaching and massive 3,000, 5,000 trusting Jesus. And so there's this kind of massive growth in the early chapters. Once you get to chapter 8, there's a shift in that it starts focusing on individuals. There's Simon and the Sorcerer. And then there's the Ethiopian eunuch. And then there's Saul from Tarsus. And then there's Cornelius. And back to back you get these stories about individuals that God is dealing with. That is maybe so obvious that it doesn't need to be said. But I'm going to say it anyway. God wants to deal with us individually. Not just as a group. Not just as a people. Not just as a race or a nation. He wants to deal with us as individuals. I like heard in, in Elliot's uh, interview grew up in a Christian home a Christian family and it's quite easy in that kind of a background to just sort of fit in just sort of hide in the crowd I know that I did that for years I always felt like my sister was a spiritual but if I didn't say much I could sort of get away and sort of live in her shadow my parents were missionaries I could just sort of people assume the best about me But later on, I got to a point where I realized, no, actually, God cares about me as an individual. God cares about me, and it's not enough to to just sort of hide behind my family. I know many cases where you get one spouse that sort of hides behind the other one. Oh, my wife, she she does that church stuff. I I, know, I'll go along, just to go along, but it's really her thing more than it is And we can sort of hide ourselves in a group, in a marriage, in a family, even in a church, and say, no, no, it's okay. It doesn't matter that it's not personal because I'm part of the group. And then you go through the book of Acts and you discover actually God is reaching out to individuals because he cares about each one of us. He wants to deal with us. He wants to bring us into a relationship individually with him. Now, the progression of the story here is what I think is is really important for us to spot. The progression of it is kind of four steps. And I think these four steps are what make a story relevant to us. Whether you're visiting for the first time, whether you're getting baptized, whether you've been a Christian for 150 years, these four steps are significant for us. I think actually for us as a church, as we head into. Uh, what would it be, year three of our existence as a church. Our desire, our vision, our, our, our whole goal is to see lives transformed, for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. How does that happen? How is that going to happen this year for each one of us? I think this passage is going to help us to see how that's going to work. So let's just think about the progression of the soul. Notice, as the story begins, that it's God who is at work. God is the one making the first move. He's the one taking initiative. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go there. The Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, go up to that chariot. God is at work, orchestrating the details of this encounter. You could call it circumstances, if you like God is at work in the circumstances creating an opportunity, creating a need. Okay, so this, this Ethiopian union, we don't know his name, but he was a significant and a very wealthy government official. He would have travelled up from Ethiopia, which really today would be Sudan on the map, northern Sudan, and he would have travelled up a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem. And it tells us that he came to worship And he's on his way home. He's got a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. You you just buy scrolls in those days unless you really have significant funding. So this is a significant person. And he seems to be, in some way, a worshipper of God. Somebody attracted to the God of Israel. There's something already at work in him. But even within the explicit details of this story, it's God who moves Philip to come alongside him at just the right moment. God does that. He works in our circumstances to stir within us a need and an opportunity to find out more about Him. Next thing is, after God's initiative, then He's having an encounter with the Bible. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And I think it's important that we recognize that. God works through His work. As his word comes into our lives, he does something. And interestingly, notice this, he did not understand it. I I wish I, uh, I've heard many, many people say, oh yeah, I've tried the Bible, I don't understand it. Too difficult. That's okay. Read it anyway. Okay, this guy is reading it anyway, and he's perplexed, and he's questioning, and he's wondering. So you've got the work of God behind the scenes in the circumstances of what's going on. You've got a person who's responding somehow to that, even unaware of it, by engaging with the Bible. The third thing is that then somebody comes along and makes it clear. And you'll notice that the passage that we reading, it tells us that it's from Isaiah. It's actually from Isaiah chapter 53. If you haven't read Isaiah 53, I encourage you to read it. If you have, I encourage you to read it. It's a great passage. It talks about the servants of the Lord, who 700 years in the future was written a long time before Jesus 700 years off in the future He's going to come And the Lord is going to lay all iniquity on him And sins and transgressions And he's going to be led like a lamb To the slaughter And he's going to be silent He's going to allow himself to be killed And he's going to please God to do this And he's going to be cut off from the land of the living And it's an incredible passage Describing Jesus 700 years before Jesus did exactly that now, from the perspective of the Ethiopian, he's, he's scratching his head. He's going, who, who is this? Who, who is this? Is he, is he talking about himself, the prophet, or is he talking about somebody else? Who is it? He doesn't get it. But then Philip explains. And often that's the way it works, even for us. We look at the Bible and we don't get what we're seeing. In fact, often what happens, I think, is that we look at the Bible expecting it to tell us what to do. You know, we've been told so many times in our culture that the Bible is full of rules and laws, and it's kind of of, your basic instructions before leaving earth, your manual for life. But we read it and we kind of go, huh, what am I supposed to do? And actually, I think when the Bible becomes clear, we discover that the primary thing is not what to do. It's who it's pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus becomes clear, then we get the fourth set, which is the transformation of So we have that uh, phrase that we throw around the Trinity, for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. How does that happen? It's by encountering the glorious love of the Trinity. By discovering that in those words, that becomes clear, that brings more and more. So let's think about that progress, those four steps, uh, from the different perspectives that we have today. Maybe you're here today, and you're saying, well, this is interesting, but I'm I'm not really part of this. I'm sort of an outsider. I'm intrigued. I'm I'm wondering why it means so much to Elliot, whatever. But it's not really me. These four steps apply. Maybe, and I'm pretty sure it's true, God will be at work in the circumstances of your life. Sometimes it's, it's where you throw out a prayer to a God you don't believe in and then the prayer gets answered. Sometimes it's the opposite. It's those times where everything is going wrong and what could go wrong does go wrong and you don't think you can take any more. Whatever it is, God can be at work in the circumstances to serve us, to say, you know what, I'm not even going to tell anyone this, but I'm going to get hold of the Bible and start reading. And then as you read the Bible, you'll find, oh, I don't really get it. It's interesting, it draws me, It's, it's captivating in some way, but it doesn't quite make sense. And then maybe you talk to somebody and they explain what it means. Or maybe you talk to God and say, okay, God, if you're there, if you're real, help me understand what this means. And it starts to become clear. And as you discover that the Bible is not about what to do primarily, it's about who to know, about who has come from heaven to die in your place, to make a way for you to come into the ultimate relationship, which is the relationship of God himself. As that starts to become clear, you find start looking around and saying, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to think maybe this is true. And so that sequence The circumstances where God is at work. Engaging with God's Word, whether it's the Bible or the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark or whatever. The clarification that it's about Jesus and what he's done and who he is and then the transformation. That's that's the way Christianity works. It's not about us fixing our lives and making commitments and dedicating ourselves to things and to promise never to do other things. It's about him working in us, it's about Him drawing us. And it may be that this message, the only purpose of it is to say, you know what, start being sensitive to your circumstances. Start wondering if maybe God is trying to get your attention and then go here and ask Him to make this clear. That's kind of the way it begins. Not just in this country, but right away across the world. I was reading a book, actually just a part of the book. It's a bit of a bizarre thing. I was at a prayer meeting in a church in Bristol. And the, the pastor of the church came up to me during the prayer meeting while people were praying in groups. And he said, read this. I said, this is a prayer meeting. Can you read it. You know, you we know, had this. Like a bit, so so, uh, I didn't say You So I said, oh, what's this? He said, read these two pages. You'll love it. And I started reading these two pages and they were written by someone who'd been working in the Middle East and North Africa as a missionary to tell people about Jesus. He'd been there for over 30 years. And he was describing how people from that background, without churches, without easy access to to the things that we have access to, were coming to know Jesus for themselves. And what he described in that book is exactly what we see here. In that case, in that context, there's a lot of dreams, God works in dreams in that part of the world, you see. And people have dreams about this, this man, Jesus, and they don't know who he is, but there's something about him that just draws them. So then they go to their local imam or whoever and say, I've had a dream about Jesus, and he doesn't know what to say, and they realize that there's nothing there. So then somehow they get hold whole part of the Bible, and they start to read it. Jesus is and what he's done and they place their trust in him. And this is what the missionary said. He said it's easy from the outside to look at it and assume that people are coming to faith because of dreams. They're not. God is undoubtedly using dreams to get them thinking, to get them attracted. But there is always, in every case, a significant engagement with the Bible before they then come to faith. In fact, he said, typically, people from that background, when they come to faith in Christ, will have read the Bible from cover to cover between five and seven times, on average, before they come to place their trust in Jesus. He said, he met one person that, in the course of one year, read through the whole Bible 22 times, and then came to faith in Christ. He said, we've concluded that we are willing to put our, to put our uh, reputation behind this statement where there is no Bible, there is no salvation. Oh, I'll tell you, that was the best of prayer. It was a good prayer for reading those two pages. was an absolute thrill for me. Just to realize, yeah, it's not that God's doing weird things and people are getting saved as a dream. That God's doing things in all of our lives to get our attention. But it's through his word that we meet. <laughs> Bible is so significant and we see it with the Ethiopian eunuch. But let's think about the rest of us. us Elliot, you think about you too. How is Elliot going to grow as a Christian? How are we going to grow and develop and move forward? Could it be that the same thing applies? That in the course of life and circumstances and the things that are going on, God is at work because he loves you as an individual. He's at work moving the pieces around giving you uh, moments of great joy, but maybe even challenging times, difficult times, times of doubt and darkness and struggle, and maybe bringing you into those moments so that you feel the need for Him, and you go here. And whether it's the Gospel of John or Book of Acts or wherever you go, cover to cover, as you engage with the Bible, that's where we start to give God a voice into our lives. And he touched on it in his testimony, in his interview here. The most significant thing that maybe we should pray for for him is that he gets his time with God as he goes on the ship. I know what the ship's like. It's manic. It's an amazing manic, but it's manic, and it's so easy to think, "Hey, I'm surrounded by Christians, and I'm doing God's work, and there's leave the Bible on the shelf and the cabin." Don't do that. Make sure you spend time every day—not as some sort of duty, but as a response to what God is doing in your life. And and for all of us, the same thing. As God is at work in our circumstances, let's get into the Bible. Even the bits we don't understand, not understanding it is no reason not to read it. Just read it more. Ask questions. In the case of the of Ethiopian eunuch, God brought somebody to sit next to him in the chariot. In, in our case, they may bring someone to sit next to you in life group, or sit next to you on a Sunday and you say, "Hey, I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm not sure about this." Wouldn't it be great if we could be a church where we talk about the Bible a lot more? Where it's part of our conversation with one another. And it's okay not to have all the answers. And it's okay not to know every detail. I just sound intrigued by this. What do you think? And maybe that sequence, that progress will be in our lives as a church this year. As individuals, God working in our circumstances to stir a sense of need. As individuals responding to that by getting into the Bible, letting the Bible get into us even when it doesn't make sense. And then as individuals trusting him as he brings along others to sit side by side as we talk about it, maybe the lights will go on. And in the process, what people continue to discover, just like the Ethiopian community, is that the Bible is not primarily about what to do. We make that mistake all the time, even as Christians. Thinking that this is a manual for life, I need instruction, I'm facing a tough week. No. What you need if you're facing a tough week is Jesus. What you need as you face difficult circumstances is a closer relationship with Him. And so, as we engage with the Bible in response to what God is doing in our lives, may we, as a community, maybe as families, as couples, as individuals, may we be. Who get into the Bible and discover more and more than ever before that it's not primarily about what to do it's about who and as, as the Bible becomes clearer, as we discover more and more of what God is like revealed in Jesus, as we discover what it means to have relationship with God because of who Jesus is and what he's done, as we get to know the glorious Son of the Trinity whether we are a ship that in Africa or in Chippenham or wherever we are, as we have our noses in here and this in our hearts and we're talking to God and we're talking to each other, may we discover this year more and more and more of how much God loves us. And in that, we will find our lives being transformed. And that will lead to holy living and so all the things that we, we tend to look for as an end in themselves, all of that will come guidance and and wisdom, and all of that stuff, but it comes from knowing Him. Discovering that the big story of the Bible is not that God has dropped some instructions on us, but that God has come, the person of Jesus, to bring us into a relationship with Him. And that is a relationship we can grow in and discover more about every single day. So as we close, let me just ask you to, to think about this. Whether you're, you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you're in the family or not, when would you say you are in that sequence? It could be that you're, you're kind of at a point in life where God is at work in your circumstances, but you're oblivious. And maybe what you need to say is, Lord, as I head into 2016, would you give me a radar that beeps when you're at work? Would you give me a sensitivity to what you're doing in my life? Or maybe you're aware of circumstances, things not working quite the way they should, whatever it is, and maybe what what you need is to say, you know what, this is not a resolution, this is not a new commitment, this is not about me, this is a response to God, I need to get into the Bible, I need to get the Bible into me. And I'm nervous about resolutions, I think resolutions set us up to fall flat on our faces, but but whatever you want to call it, why don't we make this a year where get into his word. Whether it makes sense to us or not, to get into it, to get into us, and to ask him to make it clear who he's talking about. It may be that you need to ask God to give you a sensitivity to his work in your life. You, maybe you need to say, you know what, I need to get hold of a Bible or a gospel or something, and if you're here and you want to talk to one of us we'll get one for you, no problem. Or maybe you're in the word and you say, you know what, I I've grown accustomed to just reading it and not worrying whether I get it or not. And maybe I need to start having conversations firstly with God, secondly with each other. To say, hey, what do you think this means? Help me understand this. And whether wherever you're at in, in that sequence, let's be a group of people who are responsive to God's initiative Because he's a work. He's a workout circle. our circles, that's it. He's speaking through his word and he actively wants us to know him. He wants to transform our lives. This year it be be amazing for Elliot on the ship, wherever he is, for each one of us where we are. As we respond to God, get into his word and then look for him to make it clear to us. Let me pray for us and then we're going to have a couple more songs to finish up Father, you know where we're at. You know each one of us our circumstances. Or you, you probably created those circumstances. The things that we find challenging or the things that frustrate us. Maybe you're behind that, trying to draw us to yourself. We pray that you give us a sensitivity to your work in our lives. Lord, would you make us people who are inquisitive, people who want to know you, get our, our noses into your word and get your word into our hearts. Whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, we want to be people who are responsive to you because we hear your word speaking to us and we pray that we would be people who discover more more this year that the Bible is about Jesus, that the gospel is about you, that the good news is not that we can have instruction or some sort of code for living, we can have a relationship with the living God pray that you would make that a reality in every one of our lives. We pray for him. Thank you for his baptism today. Thank you for all that you've done in his life thus far he's just beginning. I pray that this year would be a year of absolute growth for him spiritually and that when he comes back from the ship, that we almost wouldn't recognize him because of how much he's grown spiritually. And I pray that he almost wouldn't recognize us because of how much we've grown too. We pray in Jesus' name and thankful hearts the Lord of God, who reaches out to us, makes Yourself known to us and transforms us as we draw closer to You in response to Your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.